your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Mills now in the backfield. Two wideouts to the near side. Stole the tight end in motion. Turn. Fake the handoff. Adrian keeps it himself. Coming to the near side. Adrian to the five. Adrian Martinez in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Adrian Martinez finds the end zone from 10 yards out. Oh, baby. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, it's all anybody's talked about all day. It's all I've heard all day long. Maction is back. Oh, baby. The Mac back playing football midweek games. Josh gave you the scores of the ticker. How about that? Huh? Good stuff. Welcome to College Football 2020, Mac. And the Pac-12 is going to do the same thing on Saturday with a game that's going to kick off at 9 a.m. Pacific time with USC and Arizona State. Welcome to the show. Glad you've dialed us up here tonight. Let's have some fun, shall we? Over the next couple of hours, lighten the mood a little bit around the area as we talk some Husker sports and college football and all the good things that are going on in the sports world. Love to hear your take on that at 531-500-4686, or you can use that very same number to send us a text. That is our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. When baseball wrapped last week with the Dodgers winning game six, it kind of took away any sports been on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Uh, here comes the Mac, right? To rescue us all. Give us something to watch. Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, you know, quiet the last few weeks in the middle of the week. But uh, I loved seeing the Mac start out today with an onside kick that was called back to a penalty. <laughs> yeah, and there, that's right. What, what better way to welcome that conference back? So, uh, I mean, we really just need to, to buy us Tuesday and Wednesday because you've got pro on Thursday yeah. and obviously Big Ten games on Friday. So Tuesday and Wednesday is at the lonely days. That was the need, and the Mac is here, uh, kind of wearing a cape, running in to save college football in the midweek. How, how interested are you, if at all, with the Pac-12 and them kicking off on Saturday? I would say vaguely. Um, I, I'm not like – you know, appointment television, but I'll definitely watch it. There are certain teams that interest me. USC always has my eye, and, you know, Oregon's probably the cream of the crop in that conference. How does Arizona State look under Herm Edwards? Are they an interesting team? Chip Kelly at UCLA. I mean, there there are definitely teams that I'm interested in, but I wouldn't say that it's, uh, you know, I haven't, like, missed it as much as maybe I, I would have thought, but I, I'm glad it's back. It feels It only feels right to have every conference going. Sure does. Everybody's now back in the fold, at least it is at the FBS level. The FCS has postponed all their action to the spring. I'm still skeptical on that. I, I, I've been in touch a few times with um, our good friend Jeff Colhane, who is the voice of the Bison of North Dakota State, and they played the one game back in early October, and the rest of their league, the Missouri Valley in football, is supposed to play, is supposed to play in the spring. We'll see. I think there's some doubt that that's going to happen uh, moving forward. But, yep, the Pac-12 gets going on Saturday. A couple of interesting matchups. You've got that 
11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Pacific Coast game, USC-Arizona State, and then you have a night game in primetime with Oregon, who's probably, it's thought to be, thought to be again, the best team in the league taking on Stanford. So they're, they're getting cranked up there as well. We're going to have a practice report coming up here in a few minutes. Greg Austin, offensive line coach, run game coordinator. Eric Chenander, Travis Fisher met with the media today. And, and you and I kind of poked a little bit a couple nights ago at the media with the frost presser on Monday. It seemed to be more questions about the Chattanooga game that didn't happen, the targeting calls, did they get reversed, that we didn't get a lot of specifics about the team. We got more today. Uh, the coaches got asked a lot of the questions that I kind of wanted to hear Scott Frost talk about, and that was how did Bryce Benhart grade out? How, how about filling the, the, the secondary up in the first half on Saturday when those guys do serve their suspensions for the targeting calls against Ohio State? You were struck by how optimistic and upbeat Greg Austin seemed to be about his offensive line group. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard hard not to be when you hear him talk the way that, that uh, he does about his players, and I think that's great to have that much confidence in your guys so early on in their careers. I think is I think it's a good thing, and I think it's a big positive for this program. Um, you think about, you know, Cam Jurgens and uh, obviously Bryce Benhart, you know, starting right now, and there's a, a, a lot of young guys behind them with Ethan Piper and, and Turner Corcoran and even some others that um, – are ready to, to have that baton handed to him. Normally when we have a season like this, when you're talking about the experience that Nebraska has, particularly at, at tackle, at left tackle and right guard with Hymas and Farniok, you, you start loathing what what's to come after they're gone. And it's been that case a, a few times. But I think, you know, in this case, we, we especially coming into this year, when you return all five guys that started last year, um and and two of those starters from last year are still on the team but not potentially not playing i think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier this year uh the depth and the competitiveness at the at those spots you know bo wilson didn't have a very good game against ohio state and you know you've heard the coaches kind of come to his aid with with injury issues but you know he does bo wilson doesn't have to be out there if he's injured i mean if he's not um, I mean, even if he is 100%, there's a good chance Ethan Piper outplays him. You know, so I, you know, the, the spots aren't guaranteed anymore. So if Ethan Piper ends up passing Bo Wilson, um, I mean, you've got a you've got a multi-year starter on the bench, and and I think that's another feather in the cap to this coaching staff to have built that depth and to be able to do that. And you know, and even in a case of where maybe you know Ethan Piper draws a start in the middle of the season, but he's not having his best game. You know, you, you, you go call on the experienced guy and say, all right, it's your time. Go show us that you want your spot back. You know, not entirely dissimilar to what we saw with Lamar Jackson at corner a few years ago. You know, he lost his spot for a few games, and that's when you saw his entire mentality change. So if you're one on the offensive line that are consistently whiffing blocks, consistently getting penalized in the wrong situation, you've got some young pups that are ready to take your spot. And considering how Turner Corcoran graded out in his 10 plays and how Ethan Piper played while he was in there, um, doesn't shock me at all that maybe a guy like Bo Wilson's looking over his shoulder. Uh, if he doesn't have a good series or a couple in a row or another big holding penalty, you know, you, you gotta, there, there's somebody else waiting to take your snaps if you're not performing at the level that you need to. That's absolutely right, and that's the beauty of it. That's when you know you're making progress as a team and a program is when you're bringing guys in that are knocking guys taking playing time away from guys 
that have been on the field for you. Then then you know you're progressing, you're upgrading. And to, to steal a line from Travis Fisher, and I've heard him say this several times, he said he tells his guys in his defensive back room, my job, meaning his job, is to go find players to come and beat you out. So that's what I'm doing when I'm recruiting is trying to find guys to come beat you out. And we have a little bit of that going on right now in the offensive line room, and I love it. All right, I want to pose you a question, Ben, that I was on a national radio show today, and they asked me, all right, Greg, what do you think after the Ohio State game, what do you think Scott Frost felt? Where do you think he feels like he's got some positives that came out of week one? And my answer, I'll answer tell you what I said before give you time to think about this. I said I think he had to feel good about the way his lines held up, both offense and defensive lines held up against the top five team in Ohio State. Because for a good chunk of that game, Nebraska did a pretty good job, one, of bottling up Ohio State's run game, and two, getting Nebraska a really good rushing attack against the Buckeyes. So I said that was number one. Number two, I said I think he really likes the competitiveness of this team. That I think he feels like he has some fighters, some guys that are going to lay it on the line week in and week out, play after play, and that he maybe didn't have that many of those kind of guys in year one, got more of them in year two, but I think he really feels like he's much closer in that area in year three. That, that was my answer. What would you say if you got asked that question about where do you think – where was Scott Frost encouraged coming out of that Ohio State game? I think the biggest thing is, is probably what you said, you know, the, the, their play in the trenches. You know, when you – basically take away Ohio State's run game not not counting the quarterback scramble game but when they're running right at you I mean J.K. Dobbins chewed up and spit out the black shirt defense the last few years and you know we we, we all remember what happened um, when Ohio State came here under under Mike Riley uh, so I think that that was encouraging that that's probably the biggest thing for me that's that's most encouraging is to see them be able to hold up and not just get pushed around uh, all the time. So that 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 was big. Um, I agree with you in the in the way that particularly they run the football. Adrian, you know, he didn't shy away from contact, looked to run people over, and um, you know they didn't seem to back down there. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. I was very encouraged with Nebraska's inside linebacker play and Will Honus. I think you know that that surprised me a bit at the level in which he played. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing probably is, you know, going back to my original answer and to specify a bit is Nebraska's defensive line against that offensive line of Ohio state, uh, mostly against the run, but even against the pass, you know, we, we heard a lot of people complain about the lack of pass rush, um, that Nebraska was able to get without blitzing. And then I, I, I think I tweeted out a, a statistic. It might've been on Sunday, um, of, uh, football focus of how Ohio State's tackles graded out against Penn State, and those two tackles and Thurman Munson and uh, I can't remember the right tackle's name off the top of my head, uh, but he allowed not, neither of them allowed a single pressure all night on Justin Fields, let alone a sack. That's impressive, and that's Penn State's front seven. Right. So you kind of use that gauge and that thermometer to what Nebraska was able to do. They sack Fields three or four times and they were able to do it off blitzes but you know I am not as worried as seeing that stat about Nebraska's lack of pass rush against Ohio State after seeing that 
because I think that off- offensive line is just really, really good. And it's hard to get a pass rush when you're rushing three or rushing four when you've got NFL starters at the tackle spot. So that has me feeling a little bit better. I wouldn't say it's a strength, but definitely the D-line strength against the run is probably where I'm feeling most confident. All right, very good. All right, those are some of the topics we're going to hit on. Coming up next, our practice report. We'll hear from some of the assistant coaches as everybody gets geared up and ready for the Wildcats of Northwestern Saturday's opponents. We're back. Wednesday night, Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Thank you so much for spending some of your evening with us tonight. Time for us to jump into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by JTEC. Football is back and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTEC Construction the official exterior expert of the Huskers for a free estimate. Well, we had voting day yesterday, so no practice. So it was a conglomerate of coaches today, offense and defense, starting first with defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. And the Cats have a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback this year. What has the defensive coordinator seen on tape from the Cats this year compared to last year through two games? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a little bit different running game, um, even though they're still going to be in some spread. They're implementing more uh, use of tight ends, multiple tight end sets, hard tight ends in the package. Um, I think they got a little better quarterback run game. Um, we, you know, we saw Peyton Ramsey last year, um, but, you know, he did some nice things when we played him and, and all throughout the year last year. And he's able to, uh, you know, get out of the trouble a little bit with the pass rush. He's able to, to create some real quarterback runs for himself. Um, so, you know, the, the passing game, um, you know, it, it's similar but different routes, those types of things, more movement passes. Um, but I think uh, Coach Bajakian has done a really good job in, in the first two games, and he obviously did a really good job at uh, Boston College as well. Obviously, we've seen Peyton Ramsey before. We know his skill set and what he can do, and he can run with his legs. I, I think to me that that worries me maybe more than anything. Is we've, seen, and I hate to throw Peyton Ramsey in the lump of Northwestern quarterbacks, but we've seen a lot of Northwestern quarterbacks who haven't traditionally been great runners kill us with their legs in years past. Not necessarily under this staff, but just before in this series history and. I think I want to say Ramsey rushed it ten times against Iowa, so he'll he will tuck it and move with his legs. He will. You're, I think you're referencing Clayton Thorson in a seventy-yard dash he had at Memorial Stadium one year, and a guy that wasn't a bad runner but shouldn't be able to go seventy on a defense. But Peyton Ramsey is a good, solid player, Ben. But I don't. We, we shouldn't make him out to be an all-league level quarterback. He just isn't that. I mean, he was the backup to Michael Penix at Indiana, and Penix is fine. Uh, Ramsey was solid against Nebraska a year ago. Good, solid player. Not a great player, but he fits in really well with what North, with what the Cats are trying to do. He's definitely an upgrade from what they've been dealing yes. with. So, yeah, Huskers will get a crack at him uh, on Saturday. One name that I think some were surprised to hear about was Isaac Gifford and the younger brother of Luke Gifford, current Dallas Cowboy, has been gaining some traction, has even found himself in a position to play 
And if you remember this young man's recruiting story, he was one of the latest additions to the class. He was just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for that Husker offer to come. And finally it did came, and he was able to commit to the Huskers. What's the surprise level of Eric Shenander at Isaac Gifford's ability to find himself in a position to play? Not surprised. I mean, you know, a pleasant surprise. But, you know, a guy like Isaac Gifford, you know, we knew – well, you don't exactly always know what you're getting, but you think you know what you're getting. And a guy that comes from a great family with a great pedigree, obviously his brother was a really great player here and really understood football and um, was probably more athletic than he got credit for the entire time um, he was playing college football, maybe even now. Um, just like Isaac, Isaac's more athletic than he gets credit for, and he really understands football. He really wants to work at the game. Um, he's accountable, he's dependable, and he's going to work hard every single snap. He's a guy that we know – whether we throw him out there at nickel or safety or probably even linebacker, he's going to know what he's doing and he's going to max himself out. Um, so not not a surprise that he's playing on special teams and getting some some run on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's a shock to anybody. I mean, he, he if he fits the mold or has um, a part of what Luke had, you know he's going to be out there contributing and has perseverance. And I love the way that Coach said that, max effort on every play. Football IQs off the charts. Um, coaches will play guys like that, Ben, that they trust, right? That they feel like this kid's going to be in the right spot. His eyes are going to be in the right spot as a defensive back. And I'm not surprised at all that he's made his way uh, through camp and through the first game of the season kind of catching the eye of this team. And he may get out there Saturday with the suspensions to Deontay Williams in that safety spot uh, in, in the first half. Nebraska at times against Ohio State would put their outside linebackers on the line in a three-point stance and and had them get after the passer a little bit. What about their versatility and their skill set allows them to do that, and how does that fit what Eric Shenander wants to do schematically? He talked about some of those outside backers and their positions and movements against the Buckeyes and moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that – that group has, has done a good job right now of embracing um, the fact that, you know, when we're in base personnel, they're outside backers, and when we're in nickel personnel, they're defensive ends, and they still have some dropping responsibilities, um, but but they can put their hand down a lot in the ground. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot more, um, you know, you guys watch the film, a lot more four-down spacing, whatever you want to call it, 4-2-5, 4-3 defense, um, but a lot more of that, and those guys uh, have embraced that role pretty well, and I think we're just um, – you know, you got to find a way to effectively use your, your personnel. And the, the effective way to use a lot of those guys is, is some hand in the ground and some standing up. So I think they've done a really great job. Coach Dawson's done a good job of, of teaching them when and where. I don't really care what it looks like. You're standing <laughs> up, sitting down, three-point stance, four-point stance. If, if you're getting after the passer and you've got to be multiple in doing that, whether you're moving guys or – I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to when Randy Gregory – his last year, there were times Nebraska stood him up over the center, and and you just they they mixed and matched, and uh, you, you got to find different ways to get creative with your pass rush if it's not coming naturally. If you don't have a Chase Young or a, a Zach Bond or one of those types of players that can just um, you know move an offensive lineman or get around an offensive lineman consistently one on one, you got to find ways to get to the quarterback. Absolutely, Randy. By the way, Randy was on the field the other night for the Cowboys. That Sunday night game against the Eagles. I liked a couple of things. One of the guys who put his hand in the dirt a few times was 
uh, was Payne. Feldarius Payne did that. I, I love the stunt that they ran with Caleb Tanner one time. That turned into a sack against Ohio State. I like some of the creative things I saw in week one, and I think Payne is going to be a nice addition to this team. We all thought it was going to be Nico Cooper. We thought that was going to be the junior college guy from that spot that would grab a hold and maybe make some things happen. But right now it's Feldarius Payne, and I can't wait to watch him again on Saturday. Especially considering he's coming off an injury, and and right. you know they, they, you know he's a little slower going out of the get go. Let's move back a level. Talk about the secondary. Everyone curious to know what that's going to look like without Cam Taylor Britt, without Deontay Williams for the first half. Miles Farmer is one of the first names that's mentioned. Missed a lot of time last year to a hand injury, but full go now. What does Eric Shenander think of his young safety? You know, he's a very, I would describe him as a very active safety. Um, he's, he can cover a lot of ground quickly because of his, his length and because of his speed. Um, and he's also a very physical kid. You know, he, he can be physical at the line of scrimmage. He can be a physical tackler. Um, he's physical on, on reroutes in, in the perimeter. Um, but like I said, in the post, he can cover a lot of ground as well. And I feel pretty good about him in man coverage. So I think he's, you know, he's, he's what we were looking for when we recruited those guys. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think, He's going to come out and have a really good football game. He's ready to play. Um, like I said, he's, he's practiced the right way all through this whole fall camp, knowing that his shot is one play away, and he, he's ready to take it. Wasn't Miles Farmer one of your Super Sixes out of that class two years ago? He was. He was behind Wandale and behind Ty Robinson for me. Right. So uh, I was very high on him. And the other, I think my others in that group were Ben Hart, Quentin Newsom, and Nick Henrich, mm-hmm. if I remember right. So... Uh, I was, I mean, you think about some of the names I put behind Farmer. He, I remember his tape very well and, yeah. and just wondering and thinking that Nebraska was lucky to get him. And he's Quinn Newsom was as well. I mean, I was really high on both of those guys. And those are probably the first two names up uh, this weekend against Northwestern in the first half. All right, let's switch sides of the ball. Go uh, to the offensive line next with Coach Greg Austin. And uh, Greg and I touched on this to, to start. Uh, the rotation with the younger players and if they'll keep doing that with some of the the talent that they've uh, accumulated and developed over the last year. Yeah, we want, you know, we got some young promising guys and we got some guys that have a lot of snaps under their belt. And, you know, it's all in an effort to continue to evolve the young guys, but then also to keep the old guys healthy. Uh, And that's what you saw with Bo and and Ethan Piper uh, on – you know, I guess a couple Saturdays ago uh, with the rotation of those guys. So uh, that's our intention is to, you know, continue to, um, you know, filter in the young guys that uh, that that, uh, that have a lot of promise to them and uh, can do the job and, you know, get those guys some, some live game reps um, because we have a lot of confidence in them as we do the old guys as well. That's good to have. I mean, uh, the mm-hmm. options are, are better than no options. And, again, you hear Greg Austin talk about, you know, maintaining the health, pitch count, if you will, on a guy like Bo Wilson who's been battling injuries his career and uh, a, a young man in the name of Ethan Piper being able to come in and spell him at times. We saw him quite a bit in the second half. What is it about Northwestern, though, and, and their defensive front that may be different or more challenging than what they've seen in the past, specifically with Ohio State and, and up front for the Cats. 
Yeah, man, they're gap discipline. I mean, those guys are gap discipline. We talk about uh, the defensive line. They don't they very rarely ever get out of gap, get moved out of their gap. Uh, and then certainly you talk about the, the backers, man. The backers are the strength of their team. The backers are, you know, uh, the guys that have started, you know, basically it seems like four years in a row, number 51, number 42, number 28. Those guys, you know, um, are, are really good players and, uh, and they have a, a – a, a, a good feel for uh, the gaps that they need to uh, that they need to work downhill through, and uh, those guys play a physical brand of football. And uh, certainly, we got our work cut out for us, and um, that's what you see all over the film from the last couple years. Not just the first two games they played, but you know um, they're a pretty strong and stout front. Uh, against whomever they played. Um, some really good rushing offenses in the Big Ten. Uh, those guys have been able to manage uh, and do well against uh, a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten. Benny was talking about that linebacking core of, of Bergen, Gallagher, and Patty Fisher. And, and we saw good linebackers with Ohio State and linebackers at Ohio State that have played a lot of football. I think this group's a little bit better than that Ohio State threesome I, I just with patty fisher gallagher's a heck of a player bergen leaves them in tackles right now it is a really competent group and so they are the glue of that northwestern defense of those linebackers that's why there's not many defensive breakdowns because not yep. only are they stout up front but not much gets by those those linebackers so there's not a lot required for that secondary to come up and uh and bail those guys out back to ethan piper for a second what is it about his athleticism that makes him what the type of player he is and and what it is that the coaches like about his skill set that that that's allowing him to get on the field so quickly yeah i mean turner and you said it um you said it best he's an athlete you know and that's what we try to recruit here at nebraska we want to recruit big athletes you know and um you know obviously a local nebraska kid and um big hands you know strong kid good body average um you know, you know, Piper is another guy that, you know, is a, a really good player that be, you know, um, a, a really, you know, one of the best in the in the conference in the country, hopefully, you know, uh, here, here, here soon. Um, I can't say enough about the athlete that the kid is, you know, he's an aware kid, you know, he's continuing to elevate his football knowledge and football understanding and inst instincts and et cetera, et cetera. All those things come with, with snaps, right? And um, I mentioned it earlier, you know, in order for you to get those snaps, you got to get those snaps. And, and, and sometimes, you know, um, in order for you to learn, you have to, lo you, you have to lose, you know, it's, it's not a win. It's, a, it's more of a learning experience. And, um, you know, one of the things about, I like about him and Turner for that matter is that, you know, once those guys, you know, learn it, you know, it only takes a couple of times for them to learn it and then they're they're ready to go. Uh, so um, athlete, you know, uh, he has the right mindset and, you know, we're excited about uh, his future as well. It's not very often in the past that you've had to look out on that old line and see if there's new faces. That That's a habit we're going to have to get into is to see who's coming in and what circumstance because – there hasn't been much of a rotation in previous years, but I think this year is going to look a little different. I can't tell me tell you how many times in my my many years of covering college football where I talked to offensive line coaches, and I would go, "Well, what happens if so and so goes down?" And they'll give you that blank look, like I, I don't know, because I really don't have anybody that's ready. That's not the case with this Husker team. Greg Austin likes the depth that he has, and he's got options, and that is that's what spurs competition, and that's what spurs a good offensive line.
The athleticism and length are two keys, and all you have to do is look at Nebraska's recruiting classes the last few years to see that's an emphasis. But how much better is Nebraska on the offensive line in those two areas with their athleticism and their length? Yes. Um, I think like we've, not I, we've have, have, have uh, upgraded the athletic profile across the board. Um, not only have we uh, updated or upgraded the athletic profile, but then we've also uh, gotten longer and, and, and bigger, you know. Um, and, and that was, a, you know, a big deal when we first arrived here was that we want to recruit. You know, we're in the Big Ten. We got to get big dudes, you know. Uh, and no discredit to the guys that were here previously. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's an objective measure. You know, it's not subject to anything. If you're 6'5", you're 6'5". If you're 6'2", you're 6'2". Um, I tell the guys all the time, I wouldn't recruit myself, you know, uh, in our offense because I'm just too short, right? I wouldn't recruit you either, Sam. So just being honest with you. It's a good thing he didn't have to. Um, they've got the guys that they like. We'll finish up uh, back on the defensive side of the ball with secondary coach Travis Fisher and and kind of wrap up our, our talk, I think, for the week. We've kind of beat this thing in the ground of Nebraska's depth and where they're at it at safety and corner with the first half suspensions. Let's wrap it up here on that area with uh, Travis Fisher. Yep, I got a lot of, a lot of uh, confidence in the guys that uh, we're going to play uh, week to week. Obviously, uh, it starts on Monday and Tuesday, uh, preparation and going into the game. Uh, how well can we practice uh, as a group? Um, guys have the individual uh, goals that they want to, you know, accomplish and practice. As far as I want to get better on this today, I want to get better on this tomorrow. I want to get, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, but all of the guys, when it's their turn um, to play, whether it's somewhere during the game, whether it's uh, whether it's the next game or, or whatever it may be, um, they're starters. Um, so uh, we just keep rolling. So the guys, that, uh, who are, whoever's in the game is starters. So the four names to watch probably most closely are Quentin Newsom, Miles Farmer, the two we've talked about, and then Noah Pola Gates and Ronald Delancey are two other guys that I think you might see out there on Saturday. That excites you because we don't really know anything about Delancey as a player yet. We know he's a character off the field and has a great personality, but we don't really know what he can bring as a player. Noah Pola Gates didn't get a ton of action last year, and you know, needed a year to, to grow and to mature and to, to develop more physically as a football player. But, I mean, I'm excited to see all four of these guys, what they can do in the first half. Absolutely. And the glue guys are going to have to be DiCaprio, Boodle, and Markel Dismuke. They're going to have to be the ones to really be communicating with those young people out there, making sure they're not losing their heads, making sure that they're they're keying their right things on, on what Northwestern's lining up to do just to get through that first half of football. But I'm with you. You're here on scholarship. You're here on a reason. You're here. You want to play. Here's your opportunity. You don't like it that it's happening because of, of a suspension to a teammate, but here's your opportunity. Go make the most of it. Yeah. And we'll wrap it up with uh, the secondary coach, Travis Fisher's thoughts on Peyton Ramsey and what to expect from Northwestern on offense. You know, these guys have uh, a great football team. They're very disciplined across the board. Um, you know, not a highly penalized team. They're going to be very disciplined. They're going to do the things that they do and do it well. Uh, we got to be do a good job of um, having eye discipline, being very disciplined within the scheme, uh, flying around to the football, uh, being physical in the point of, point, of, uh, point of contact, and challenging plays a lot better on the outside. It's a build from last week.
There you go. Good stuff today. All three, really good. And we're both here because we're going to jump into the blitz tonight. Ben's going to take Minnesota. I'm going to talk to the Michigan schools, Michigan and Michigan State. We welcome you back to hour number two, Sports Highly here on a Wednesday night. We'll have our blitz and later on in the hour, Jeremiah Searles will have this week's edition of the Husker Huddle. We'll talk a little baseball as he sits down with former Husker and Major Leaguer Cody Ashey. But let's get this hour underway with the blitz. The Big Ten Blitz. Michigan. Let's talk about the Wolverines. Angelique Shangalis from the Detroit News joins us. How noisy has it been this week in Ann Arbor? I'm not talking about the election. <laughs> Have you been listening in on the message boards and all the uh, sports <laughs> talk shows here? Because it has been very noisy. And as you can imagine, I mean, this is year six of Jim Harbaugh and, and the losing game where Michigan State was a three-touchdown underdog and to never have the lead and to lose it at home in the home opener, which, again, I guess doesn't mean anything this season. But regardless, it was at Michigan Stadium, and and uh, I think it was sort of a foregone conclusion. Everyone thought, even Michigan State fans thought that Michigan would uh, win this game. I heard from a lot of Michigan State friends of mine who said they weren't even watching the game. And they didn't want to see the massacre. And so you can imagine that the conversation among the Michigan fan base, it's been, it's been very heated. Uh, they, you know, they, they don't understand how this can happen in year six. And it's been happening, losing to Ohio State. Certainly uh, that hasn't helped Jim Harbaugh's reputation here. And, um, you know, I don't know where it goes. I, I don't know. It, it, it is noise. And you don't know if anything comes of it. But... It is an interesting situation with uh, with Jim Harbaugh's contract expiring after next season, and there has not been an extension. So, you know, you just wonder. You wonder what's next. Spartans were able to make some big plays in the passing game. Was that the biggest breakdown in your eyes on the day? Absolutely, and and I I know I've said that uh, if I'm if I'm an opposing offensive coordinator, I would target those corners. They're their first time starters. They thought Michigan thought they'd have Ambry Thomas back this year, and they did have him back until the uh, the original postponement by the Big Ten. So they've got Vincent Gray Gray and and Demon Green, and and these are both they're both green essentially. I mean, they they didn't have much playing experience, game experience coming into this season. I think. There's a lot of criticism of Don Brown and, and his, you know, his defense is exposing those two guys, putting them out on an island. And I really think, you know, I, I think Don Brown's been pretty stubborn in his approach, but I think this week at Indiana you'll see more zone from this defense. All right, yeah, let's let's move to this week's game. They, they do travel to Bloomington and take on an, an IU team that's now 2-0 and on the year, but yet they're favored. Somebody knows something. Fill me in. What am I missing here? Oh, I think we lost. And we're going to try to get her back on. Her cell phone dropped off on Angelique, so we'll see if we can get her back with us as we're talking about Michigan traveling to Indiana this week. Take on the Hoosiers, who are 2-0. Michigan is 1-1 on the season after their loss to Michigan State last weekend, 27-24 at the Big House. As Angelique mentioned, they were a huge favorite in that game over the Spartans, but couldn't. Couldn't hang on. Great win for Michigan State. Trying to get Angelique back up on their cell phone here. Live radio. Gotta love this, right? Move along here on a Wednesday night of Sports Nightly. 
And we got you back. Sorry, sorry about that. Pick up a what, – what am I missing? Indiana's underdogged at home against Michigan in this game. Well, I, I think that people probably are looking at a couple things. And, you know, was, was Indiana's win over Penn State a little fluky? I don't know if you can call it that. But I think people wonder about that. And then they got a win against Rutgers. But I'm not sure if that says a lot. And maybe they're they're taking into account that Michigan rebounds okay typically, and this is going to be an angry Michigan team. All those kinds of things because I, I can't figure out either why why Michigan would go in as favorites. I mean, Michigan, uh, Indiana's thirteen now, and and Michigan dropped. But uh, that's the only thing I can think of because it, it puzzled me a little bit as well. What about, I mean, has it been a rally the troops type of week for Jim Harbaugh? Has he closed ranks at all? Has he acted any differently after the loss Saturday? No, I, you know, it's it's really, he's been a hard read this year, Greg. I mean, he's, he's, he's usually I'm used to a little bit more testiness at press conferences and eye rolls and getting a little agitated with us. And he's been very um, accommodating, I guess you'd call it, and... Um, hasn't uh, he hasn't looked angry? I mean, he said this was a gut wrenching loss, um, and apparently they had a very spirited practice on Monday. Obviously, had the adjustment with Tuesday off, the mandated off day by the NCAA. But um, from all accounts, from what I've heard from from different different people around the program, is, is that they've been practicing hard. But it's it's he's been a hard read. I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it except he's just been much more even keel. And clearly says he clearly loves his team and all those things, but um, but not fiery. And I think a lot of people picked up on that as well and, and talked about his sideline demeanor um, not being like it was those first couple of years. And where is that spark gone? Where is that fire gone? Um, and, and it's it's definitely been playing out that way in press conferences, at least so far. Michigan and Indiana, 11 o'clock Central and FS1. Angelique Shingados of the Detroit News. Angelique, thank you. Thanks as always. Michigan State. Let's talk about the Spartans and Hondo Carpenter. Spartan Nation joined us. What a win for Sparty. Hondo, 27-24. I don't know that a lot of people expected that, but what a great win for Mel Tucker. Folks have to be really happy. It's one of the top three Michigan State wins over Michigan State. I mean, over the University of Michigan all time. It was an epic out-coaching job of Jim Harbaugh with less talent. His coaching staff made Jim Harbaugh and his staff look at what they've proven to be over six years ineffective. Well, Mel Tucker was able to put behind him and that team a tough performance in week one with Rutgers. What, what impressed you about, and who impressed you, I guess, on Saturday? Rocky? Yeah, Rocky did for sure, but at Spartan Nation, we've been reporting for the two previous seasons. Many of the assistant coaches and players have wanted Rocky to be the starter, but Mark Antonio was stubborn and wouldn't make the move to him. I can tell you this, when the, in the game that they lost against Rutgers, they had seven turnovers, and one NFL assistant general manager told me after that game, he said, don't sell the Spartans short. He said, no spring, no, no pra- only four weeks of practices with Mel Tucker, and they only lose a Big Ten conference game by eight with seven turnovers. They'll be better. And he was right. This Michigan State team does not have, I mean, there's not a lot of talent on there. Can't even talent-wise, shouldn't have been able to compete with Michigan. But they were a better team. They were significantly better coached. And they just fought. Rocky was a big one. True freshman Ricky White. 
Another uh, guy is Antoine Simmons, who's a future NFL linebacker. Yeah. All right, this week it's on to Iowa City to take on an 0-2 Hawkeye team. I don't know if that's what you want. What do you make of this matchup on Saturday? Well, Michigan State is still a team that's lacking talent. They're still a team that hasn't had a lot of, of, of time with their coaching staff and a whole brand new system on both sides of the ball. So being honest, I have to think Michigan week, a big win when a young team, there'll be a letdown. And if there is, I think they lose to Iowa. But if they can somehow maintain that intensity, I think they'll win. But a young team behind the eight ball coming off a huge rivalry game, they, as Izzo always says, the hardest part about young players, they have to learn to win consistently. I think that puts Michigan State behind the eight ball in this game. All right. It's a 11 o'clock Central Time kick on ESPN Michigan State at Iowa. As always, Honda, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Minnesota. And our Big Ten Blitz continues along with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. We say hi to our good friend Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Andy, surprise level in Minneapolis after the start to the Gophers 2020 season and the reaction this week from the fans uh, with a tough loss with Maryland last Friday night in overtime. Yeah, I think when you lose to Michigan, uh, I think it can be explained away given the fact that it's a Jim Harbaugh team at the Blue Blood You've got a quality quarterback on the surface in Joe Milton. Uh, so I think that one was a little bit more understood. I think when you uh, lose to Maryland and give up 675 yards and not and get very conservative on offense in the fourth quarter and have a kicker miss an extra point in overtime, I think it's a very uh, much more difficult pill to swallow, especially because the defense has struggled in two straight weeks. And since Joe Rossi was promoted, uh, you know, in the middle of the 2018 season, they've been so much better. But when you replace seven starters on defense, including Antoine Winfield Jr., who's a, a likely candidate for Defensive Rookie of the Year in the NFL, you see how much of a drop-off they've had to had to endure this year. Let's let's. I'm glad you mentioned the fourth quarter in particular. That was one thing that stuck out to me. Obviously. Mohamed Ibrahim is, is is a very good back, and it's, it was clear he was having a lot of success. But what's been the reaction from the offensive staff and P.J. Fleck this week about their mindset, particularly in that fourth quarter when they were hitting some deep shots with Morgan? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just the fact that, you know, they needed a third down conversion uh, with a minute left to keep the drive alive to try to go down and win the game. And they're presented with a stacked box, and it's, one-on-one on the outside you've got the big 10 receiver of the year and Rashad Bateman uh with a guy in front of him to beat no safety help and you decide to not check out of the play and try to stuff it in for Mohamed Ibrahim's what then would have been 40th carry uh, so I asked PJ that and I said what was going on there and he you know took full responsibility for it said that that shouldn't have been the call uh but that's kind of his mo he is more conservative uh, than a lot of other coaches are. And I think we saw just another example of that. And I, and I would assume that conservatism, you know, bleeds into the overtime with the thought to try the PAT instead of go for the win then, given the kicking situation. He, he wanted another shot in double overtime. Was that addressed at all this week? Yeah, for sure. We addressed that after the game, and he said that he didn't really think about, you know, going for two. And his kicker, I think, had made five extra points and had made a 25-yard field goal. Uh, but he was the backup, and the, the starter has been out with COVID. So it's been an issue for them. Um, but I think more so it's the fact that if you don't – if you go for one, 
and you make it, then your defense has to go back out on the field, and they've shown zero ability to stop Maryland. So if you go for two, you can end the game right there on the road and not have to put your defense out there again and gamble that. Uh, but PJ said he didn't think about that. He felt like he was going to, given the overtime flip, they were going to have the ball first in overtime, and he felt like uh, being able to get the extra point and put the pressure back on Maryland is what he wanted to do, uh, but it didn't work out. Andy, I really like what you said uh, when we opened here about how, how to take the two losses if you're a Minnesota fan. The Michigan game, again, defensively, I think they missed three field goals maybe in that game that, that kept yeah. Michigan under 50, which is something maybe you don't expect, but you, you take because they're Michigan. You mentioned the, the yardage totals with Maryland. How, how much further behind is this defense right now than you expected them to be, given all the starters they've lost and you know being already almost a third of the way through the season? Yeah, I think that there was an expectation that given the fact that this was PJ's fourth year, that they would be able to reload instead of rebuild. I think you've got a four-star safety in Tyler Newbin that had played special teams as a true freshman last year, filling in for Antoine Winfield Jr. So you, you knew the level was going to drop off, but you didn't know it was going to be that much of an issue. You've got linebackers in Mariano Sarimarin who played next to Kamal Martin and Thomas Barber, two regulars. Uh, and played all three linebacker spots and was, you know, supposedly a, a guy that he's a Big Ten distinguished scholar. He was on his way to the Ivy League if he wasn't coming to the Gophers. But he just looks lost. He looks like he's not being able to read and react, and this is a guy that has experience. So I think, yeah, I think it's startling to see the amount of drop-off that they've had with those seven starters depart because some of the guys that we were expecting to come back in haven't lived up to even, you know, a little bit of the expectation. Well, looking ahead to this week, I think if there was a team to make you feel better about defense, at least on paper, it might be Illinois. They've really struggled offensively, and they, like Minnesota, have dealt with, with yeah. COVID issues with Brandon Peters being out. What's the perception of the game this week in the cities up there in Minnesota about what to expect from this game and how they're going to attack Illinois? Well, it's, if it's not now, it's when, right? I mean, Illinois is an offense that's been struggling. I mean, you mentioned the issues at quarterback. They're down to their four-string quarterback. They haven't been able to score. They're one of the worst teams in the country in scoring and total yards. And if the Gophers' offense, or the Gophers' defense can't stop this Illinois team, it's going to be a very, very long year. So I think the expectation is, hey, let's simplify. Let's not have our players trying to do too much. Let's just do our own responsibilities and not somebody else's, which has been a problem. They'll have run fits, set the edge, tackle well and just keep everything in front of them and I think that could go a long way uh, for this gopher team I mean they are a 7 point favorite they were a 19 point favorite against Maryland so you think that there's a chance and, and a likelihood that they win uh, but with this defense being unproven and not being able to show that they could you know, keep even a shred of the level of last year there's doubt surrounding it Andy, uh, let's broaden it up here and step away just from the from the Gopher perspective and bring it to your thoughts to the Big Ten West. Minnesota 0-2, Iowa 0-2, Nebraska winless, Wisconsin, who knows if they'll be eligible. What have you made of what you've seen from the Big Ten West to start the year? Yeah, it's been, it's been wild. Um, I think, you know, Northwestern has shown an ability to, to put something together to show that maybe last year was, was a bit of a, a one-year blip and the Big Ten West champs have 2018 are, are back and Pat Fitzgerald has been able to, to write the ship there. I think that's, you know, maybe the best storyline coming out of the Big Ten West, but you really see the disparity in the two divisions right there 
um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if Wisconsin's able to get into the game because if they don't, they're not eligible anymore. And then who's going to be able to come out of the West? And I'd say Northwestern is probably the favorite right now. Silly of us to expect anything else in the year 2020 of how the year has gone so far in the Big Ten. Uh, still a lot of chapters left in this book, though, uh, beginning here with uh, next week with Minnesota and Illinois. Andy Greeter, St. Paul Pioneer Press. Andy, thanks so much, man. Uh, appreciate you jumping on with us. Enjoy watching some games this weekend, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hope I wasn't too much uh, doom and gloom. It's just been bad defense up here <laughs> in Minnesota. Thanks for the time. Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here on the Husker Sports Network. I'm your host, Jeremiah Searle. Today we are joined a little different. We went a different approach here this week. Former Husker baseball player Cody Ashey, he was a fourth-round selection in 2011 to the Phillies. Played for them from 2013 to 2016. Finished up with the White Sox here in 17. Good friend of mine. We work out at the gym here locally in Kratos. Go back and forth a lot on Husker Talk. But, Cody, thanks for coming today. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, Jeremiah. I appreciate you having me on. Big fan of the show. Uh, like I said last week, love the Pat Smith interview. Get a little insight from the kicker and relive some of those days. Absolutely, man. Those were the good old days. But fun to live back in the past a little bit. But one thing we love doing here on Husker Huddle is catching up with former Husker athletes here of kind of what they've been through since they left here in Nebraska. You left in 2011, if I recall. So kind of walk us through what your post-college career was like for you. Yeah, so 2011... That was kind of the, the end of the Big 12 baseball era here at Nebraska. Um, kind of crazy scenario going through that. I mean, you got to do it with football, um, transferring and transitioning from Big 12 to Big 10. But, yeah, so 2011 I was drafted uh, by the Phillies. Um, went, went uh, spent a, about a year and a half in the minor leagues with them. Was able to kind of take a different route than most guys. Um, I, just, I just got in a, a really good situation where that there was going to be a chance for me to fly through the system as long as I performed. Um, able to just put together a couple of good seasons in the minor leagues, and then uh, in 2013, I found myself on a you know the big league diamond for the first time um, in Philadelphia, which was just awesome. Uh, Love that place. It's got a special place in my wife and I's heart. Um, we would go back there in a, in a heartbeat. Mm. But yeah, so spent spent about three years there with the Phillies um, in 2016. You know, it, it came to an end, uh, unfortunately. You know, how the, the sports business works. Um, you put up or shut up kind of thing. So, um, moved on. Played, a, played had a little short stint with the White Sox um, in Chicago there. And then, that. so I guess that was 2017. And then, after 2017, career just kind of hit a little rocky road. Um, you know, in, in baseball, you're always, you're always on a, a slippery slope. You know, you're either... And I bat away from the big leagues, or I bat away from never playing again. Hmm. So it's it's crazy. Um, it, it doesn't wait around for anybody, and you know, just the influx of talent and the way the game's moving and getting younger um, by the day. It, it's a, it's definitely a, a hard road. Um, but you know, I like to consider myself one of the youngest thirty-year-olds that is in the game of baseball. So I always keep that in the back of my head, and always kind of holding out for that next opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, so you and I go, we've talked a lot about this at the gym and whatnot is the COVID idea of how the NFL's handled it, how the MLB handled it. How did you think the MLB, and I'm sure you have a lot of buddies that are still playing that you've talked with, how did the MLB handle the COVID stuff this year? Do you think they did a good job or do you think there's a lot of stuff they could have done differently? I think they did a good job, honestly. Um, you know, during the time when, when, when we left spring training, you know, everybody's under that 
that, you know, I guess the, the, the view that this was going to be like a two week thing. We're just going to go home for a second. We're going to come right back. And then it blows up and, you know, it's, it is what it is today. Um, and I think what baseball, you know, the, the, the thing they had to deal with was they didn't get the season to start. They didn't even get to finish their preseason, which is just really, really important from a standpoint of getting ready and, and keeping guys healthy. Um, that, that spring training is hugely important. So not finishing that was problem number one. The problem number two, it didn't even get the, the season off the ground. So now we got to kind of reconstruct the whole thing. Where, And then number three is everything's changing daily. So you, you really have no idea what it's going to look like. You, you plan out for two months from now, but you don't know what that's going to look like. And then I think all things considered, I think they did a really nice job with the schedule. Um, you know, fans may not look at it that way. They might look at it from a standpoint of 60 games. It doesn't mean anything, this and that. But uh, as you can see in the World Series, the, the two best teams from the regular season are playing for the, the World Series title. Playoffs have been extremely entertaining. Um, I don't think any team that didn't deserve to be in the playoffs are in the playoffs. And I don't think there was really any teams that had a had a good outlook on this season that didn't perform like people thought they would have. So I don't think from a competition standpoint, and um, it really affected much. It, you know, you, you always feel for the fans and the front offices and the scouts, the people that got furloughed, obviously, that's that's a tough part about it. Um, just, you know, being in, in the building around, the, there's just a ton of good people that kind of are glue that keep things together um, that, that may have not gotten able to work this year. Um, you know, there's... You know, you know the people in the communities that that rely on the traffic that are coming to the ballparks for parking and restaurants. They're they're affected, but I think overall, baseball did did just a really good job. Um, and I know there was there were they were in the media for a while for probably the wrong reasons with the whole you know uh, labor relations talks. Um, but I'm glad that got squared away and we could just get back to playing. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I know a lot of the players, are they get stuck in a rock and a hard place. And I know I talked to a lot of guys in the NFL. You talked to a lot of the MLB. At the end of the day, competitors want to compete. And they'll, sure. they'll, they'll do what they have to do to get there. So talk a little about this Husker baseball team. I don't know how much you still follow, how much you're still involved. Will Bolt being the head coach now. Kind of what is your look at for the Huskers this year for baseball? Yeah, um, you know, the further I got away from college, kind of the less and less I, I – was really honed in on Husker baseball. I probably wasn't the best Husker baseball fan that there, there's ever been, but I think I think we kind of really got robbed uh, from the standpoint of seeing you know Will Bolt's first year as a head coach. Um, I feel for for him and his staff coming in, um, kind of I would assume more more like a dream job for for Will uh, coming back to his alma mater after some really really nice success at other places around the country. Um, I think the important thing is with Will is he has a track record of winning in college. Um, and that's, that's just always, for me, like number one, most important thing. Like if you're, you're a winner and you're doing things right as a coach, I, I think that's really important. So for me, I think you've seen him build up the roster, some depth. Um, and, and then with baseball health is always going to be the most important thing. Um, through these, these long training periods with 
fall and winter, the, the big time development for baseball where you need to be on the field playing. That's the only way to get better. Like you can only do so much in a weight room or inside. You need to be on the field competing in situations where it matters. Um, so I, I think that's going to be really good. I'm, I'm excited for Will. Um, I've gotten to know a couple of the kids that are new to the team this year, um, just from being around Lincoln, excited to watch them and see how they continue to grow. But um, I think the Big Ten is there for the taking. The, the conference is, I think it's ready for, for a guy like Will to come in and really dominate. Um, and I think from a, from a standpoint of can he do it, yes, I, I think so. I think he's proven it. Um, junior college track record um, at Texas A&M, obviously that's one of the premier programs in the nation. He's, he's been there, done that. Obviously, as a player, he knows what it takes. Uh, he's been to the College World Series. So uh, I, I think it'll be a really good really good addition to the, just the whole athletic department having Will there. Yeah, we're excited here at uh, Husker Sports Network to see what they can get rolling and see what that Husker baseball season can get going wherever it may be put back. But, all right, man, it's game week. It's, it's Nebraska, Ohio State. They are kicking off on Saturday. Husker football is finally back. You follow Husker football quite a bit. I do. We get into discussions and heated discussions quite often. But as you look at this Husker football team, you've been a fan. You've watched. What are your expectations going into this game for Ohio State and Nebraska? Yeah, it's funny. I think I think I would if you would have asked like twelve-year-old Cody Ashby, like, what would you rather do, play Husker baseball or Husker football? Like, without a second of hesitation, Husker football, like not even a doubt, not even a doubt in my mind. And still to this day, like, I might have even, like, preferred to be a Husker football player over <laughs> Husker because I just – I love Husker football so much. You know me, the biggest yep. hype man you'll ever find Absolutely. in the city of Lincoln. But I, I saw uh, – I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see the quarterback situation for sure. I think there's a lot of fans out there that, that are really excited about McCaffrey, but also – I'm excited to see uh, a fully healthy Adrian Martinez. I know he played through a shoulder injury last year, which can be crippling to any athlete, just things that go on up there, especially when you're throwing and running. Um, I think that, that'll be important. Um, I'm excited to see what, what goes on on both sides of the lines. Um, I think the offensive line is going to be revamped. We've got a lot of experience returning on that offensive line. Uh, we got big shoes to fill on the defensive line. you got – with three three starters from last year all on mm -hmm. NFL rosters right now, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and then the, the back end of the defense, I think I'm pretty excited about um, having Deontay back. I think that was a I think that was a big big loss last year early in the season. Um, I think I think that a, a solid safety back there, just kind of controlling that defense, limiting big plays, um, would be huge for us, just to kind of keep the flow of the game the way we want it to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be huge. I mean, especially with, I mean, you got Justin Fields, arguably the best, if not top two, one of the quarterbacks in the country. So we'll be facing him again. So much unknown just with a lack of media presence available to everyone because of COVID. It's going to be weird being in empty stadiums. But I think the Huskers this year, you and I have talked about this. I think it's a good season if we can go four and four, hopefully five and three. As you've looked over here, last question, as we've looked over here at these season and you see the schedule that lays out in front of Nebraska, what is you of Cody Ashy, 12-year-old Husker football fan, looking at it now, what do you see as an outcome for the season that you would be excited about? Uh, honestly, I think, I think five, five and three I'm really excited about, but in my heart, like, 
I'm believing in six and two. Honestly, oh. like I'm believing in six and two. I, I'm there for it. Uh, you've watched kind of the, the first four weeks of college football unfold, and some really crazy things have happened. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a wild year, and I, I, I just really want to believe that this is kind of the year that the Frost and Co. kind of ties it all together, and that that the culture starts coming out because I'm a believer in it. I'm a I'm a believer in what he's doing. Um, I, I, you kind of see these young guys pick up on the system. You, you've kind of got the older crew that's been here for three years that are developing into the leaders for what they're implementing. Um, and you would know this better than I would, how important that is in a locker room and um, throughout a season. So for me, like, I think that's that's something that that can that can if you don't have it, it loses you football games. And I think we've lost football games in the past because of that missing link and I think you you look at I I I think Wisconsin's a very winnable game Minnesota's a winnable game uh Northwestern's a winnable game Iowa's a winnable game uh you you look at the the Ohio State and the Penn State that those games are going to be tough um we're going to see what the Huskers are made of week one and then week two and three they don't get any easier so um you know I'd I'd love for this to be the year where where we win a couple of these close games for, for, you know, a change. We have a couple of big, big W's, uh, carry some momentum into the off season, get into that ninth big 10 game, uh, versus across where whoever that may be. And then go to, go to a bowl game, um, get some good experience for these guys. And we'll come back in 2021 ready to roll. Absolutely, man. I think that you are embodiment of every Husker fan that wants and dreams and hoping for it. And I'm right there with you, man. I just, I've let myself get built up so bad these last two years when I get tore down. It, it just hurts. It hurts inside me. For so, sure. Cody, what do you, what, last thing here, what are you doing for the game? You throwing a party? You just going to watch at home, scream at your television? How are you experiencing the uh, kickoff here? I, I don't know yet. Honestly, like, I have such an emotional roller coaster during football <laughs> games that it's really hard for me to watch games with like a large yep. group of people. Uh, I've had I'm and I'm super I'm really superstitious too. Mm. So I've had a big party for an Ohio State game, didn't go so well. Oh, there you I've go. I've watched I've watched an 11 a.m. Ohio State game on my couch by myself in the dark, and we almost pulled that one out. So it. It's hard to say. It, honestly, I haven't made the decision yet. All right, I haven't. Well, I haven't decided. Well, heard um, here first. Cody Ash should be on his on his couch in the dark watching the Huskers kick off here. So six and two. Heard <laughs> here first. Six, six and two. two. Okay, Cody. Thank you so so much for joining us here on Husker Huddle here on the Husker Sports Network. We look forward to catching back up with you soon. Best of luck in all your endeavors going forward, and uh, we'll be sure to talk soon. So thank you guys for joining. Me. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks, Jeremiah. Great work, Jeremiah Searles with Cody Ashew, longtime Husker player and then played in the major leagues for several years. Good to hear his voice, and I know he's a huge Husker football fan. Let's get it on. Buy, sell. It's time to buy or sell. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Josh Elkerman and Austin Orman. Soak it in is right. The Mac is back. Buy, sell is back. Can't <laughs> yeah. ask for anything more than that. Sweet. Agreed. Agreed. That is what we're here for. Is Ben going to chime in, or is he just kind of hanging out? I'm focused. I'm, I, I'm focused. I'm just locked in. All right. Hopefully you're more locked in this week than you were 
with these last week's answers. A little less. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Come on. Man. <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. I'm going to. Austin's gonna feeling cocky right now. my own horn on this one. I, a little spoiler alert for this one as well. I was the only one to get this one right. I asked a couple weeks ago if you guys would buy or sell that Tony LaRusso would become the next White Sox manager. <laughs> he was, of course, named the manager of the Chai Sox. I was the only one who bought it. Good for you. Good you job, douche. Austin. Picked up a point on everybody. Well, and remember, we've been really making fun of Austin for basically this entire season, but especially <laughs> the last couple of weeks because he's been so terrible on his own questions, and he, he, he got one back there. He got one back, so... Good for him. About time. All right. Uh, we go next to a question asked by Tim, a college football question asked last week by ourselves that Rutgers would cover the spread of 12 points against Indiana this past weekend, and Noah Vedrill would have at least two touchdown passes. The answer was a sell. Vedrill did throw for two touchdowns, but Rutgers lost 37-21. to 21. That's a 16-point uh, margin of defeat, not 12 or fewer. So, it was a sell, and Tim was the only one that got it wrong. The rest of us were correct. So, <laughs> sorry, Tim. His own would, question. He would argue that if that goofy play would have been able to stand, and it should have, then he would have got it right. True. That's yeah. a, that's accurate. He actually did try arguing that on Monday, but uh, obviously that didn't work out for him. We stick in college football. This one from Greg, who asked us if we had to buy or sell that at least four road teams would win this past weekend. In Big Ten football, the answer was a buy. Five road teams won. Ooh, a home team that won was Maryland. And deja vu from last question. Only Tim got it wrong. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Tim. I, Come I on, feel, Timmy. I feel a little bit bad just snickering at it, but get your questions right, Tim. Come on. Let's go. You got to make the layups. You just yeah. got to make your layups. I know. That's that was not a I didn't feel like that was that difficult of a question and it didn't end up being that way. So All right, let's uh move along here. Another question from Greg last week. You went with the NFL on this one. Buyer saw that Le'Veon Bell would score on Sunday against the Jets. That was a sell. He did not get in the end zone. And Tim did get this one right, and so did I. We were the only two to get that one right. I think it's sell. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes decided to do it all himself. True. It, it, it did not affect the outcome in any way, shape, or form. So, I'm surrounded by Chiefs fans. How are you guys feeling about Le'Veon? Fine. Good. Yeah, good. Great. No problem so far. Seems to be like he's not, you know, he's matured a little bit, it seems like, and knows his place. So, yeah, no. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is better than no Le'Veon Bell. It's not, it's not hurting the Chiefs at all right now. So, I like him out there. Sure. Fair. Antonio Brown also said he's a new person just today, so sure. we'll see if he continues that trend. But I'll ask a, uh, a Josh college football question here. Josh asked us, buy or sell that Justin Fields completes at least 85% of his passes against Penn State or accounts for four touchdowns or more? The answer was a buy. Only 82% of his passes <laughs> were completed. Jeez. A little off week for Justin Fields, but he did throw for four touchdowns. Uh, Greg Brett, myself, and Tim all bought that and were correct. Ben and Josh, you guys sold it. Yeah. Not sure why. Expected a little more out of the Nittany Lions defense. I I knew, or at least I assumed, he wouldn't get to 85%. He had an amazing week and was at 82%. So that was really going to be tough to do no matter what. But I figured that even if they scored a lot, that they would run the ball a little bit more. And so they would 
you know, get one, you know, get some other guys in the end zone. I mean, assuming somebody gets four touchdowns is pretty crazy, right? You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we wrap the answer portion of this segment up with a uh, question from Brett last week. He asked a soccer question, second straight week that he had has done so. Byer saw that Arsenal would defeat Manchester United in their Premier League matchup on Sunday, and we had an and question, that there would be at least two goals scored between both clubs. The answer was a sell. Arsenal did win, but they only won one to nothing. So One, one ooh, nil. One, one nil. One nil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll rewind that. Arsenal did win, but only one nil. So, Greg, obviously you sold it and got it right. Guess who the other person that got it right was? Tim. Tim. <laughs> the, uh, Brett, one soccer expert, asks it, gets it wrong, and then Tim, the other soccer expert, answered it as a sell. He got it right. So, good job, Tim. So, who's the real soccer expert here? Right. That's the question, and I think we have the answer. Tim Tim knows the soccer. Yeah. And Greg. <laughs> if of you have course. two soccer experts, you don't have one. But if you have three then I think you have three. (laughs) All right, so totals for this week. We will work our way up from the bottom. Ben, only two of six this last week. Not a great performance. And you had the lead coming in. Only six answers, though. I mean, that's not – I mean, if it was was four out of 11, then we'd have a lot bigger issue. All right, three people with three answers correct. That would be Josh, Brett, and Tim. Greg, you and I both got four out of six correct. Yeah. Love it. All right. Over, Only drop two standings. points. Uh, yeah, do the standings, Austin. Yeah, so overall standings. Greg and Ben, you guys are now tied at 59 out of 90 apiece. Yeah. All tightened up. And get this, guys. Here's a little stat that Austin and I dug up right before the segment. Austin is now two back, 57 of 90. So he's only two back of you guys for the lead. Just two weeks ago, he was six points back. Last week, he made up two points on the lead, was four points back. And this week, he made up two more points. He's just two points back. That means next week, we can expect Austin Orman to be tied for the lead. So watch out. Someone's got to pick it up for the producers. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we it's it's four against two, and we, we're losing to both of you. So we... <laughs> <laughs> Need to have a better account of ourselves. Let's just say the uh, the buy or sell rowboat is being rowed a lot faster than the uh, Sports Nightly Fantasy Football League rowboat. Either that, or you could patch the holes better. True. One one of one of those. <laughs> Some of it is a little bit out of your control, and the in uh, the other one, and this one's a little more under your control, I guess. All right. Well, who who goes first, Austin? You are the question collector this week. Let's just start from the top. Go, Greg, Ben, uh, you, Josh, and then me. All right. All right, good. All right, my first question. Buy or sell that Nebraska has more rushing yards Saturday than Northwestern? Hmm. And to just give you a little bit of a rundown, through two games, the Cats averaging 234 on the ground, the Huskers do their 1-210. What are you doing? I'm going to... I'm going to buy Nebraska's running game. I think Nebraska's going to get their running game cranked up Saturday. I'll buy it. Hmm. Although that's a heck of a defense. I know. It's a good defense. and That's, that's what I'm wavering on right now. Right. You know Nebraska's going to do their best to run it. Do they outrush? And I, I, here's the thing. I think that the Huskers could win the game and, and not run for more yards than Northwestern. I don't think that that's in, imperative. Obviously, it would help, but... I'm going to buy it, too. Well, now I feel like I want to be different since you guys have both bought it. I'm going to sell. I'll fall in line with Josh. I'll sell. I see an aerial assault for the Huskers on Saturday. There you go. 
Ben? All right, I'm next. I, I get nexties. You do. All right, stick in college football. Buy or sell that Cincinnati and BYU finish the year with a combined three losses or less. So this is including conference championships and including bowl games. BYU and Cincinnati finish the year with combined three losses. So between the or two less. of them, if you add up their losses, yes. they have to have three or. And is that include? Yes. You said it includes a bowl game. It does. And includes conference championships. Man. In this case, mm. for Cincinnati. So three or fewer. So four. I'm going to sell it. So I think there's going to be more losses than three. Right. I'm I'm going with you, Ben. I I think that, that they're going to. That BYU BYU wins this game. They're probably going to run the table. Okay. Cincinnati's probably going to run the table in the regular season unless they slip up at UCF, but they also have a conference championship game. BYU and Boise is uh, one of our picks that we're making, one of our three top 25 game picks that we're making on Friday, and I've already submitted my selection for that game. So I I guess I could give that away now. I I picked BYU, but I – now, but I'm still going to sell it. I still think that between Cincinnati and BYU, they their losses add up to lose four. four. Yep, or more. I'll buy it and take. And by the way, I guess three. if you don't know by now, both teams are undefeated. Right, it's true. Austin's buying. Greg, I'm I'm going to sell too. I think I think Boise's going to get BYU sat Friday night. There's one, and I think Cincinnati loses one. And then they both lose bowl games. So there's your four. There it is. All right. All right. Moving on, I'm up next. I'm going to go with an NFL question here. Buy or sell that Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa combine for at least 450 yards passing and four passing touchdowns in their next starts. 450 yards through the air and four Mm. passing touchdowns. I'll buy it. Who are they playing in their next games? Do we have that? We do. Um, uh, yeah. Tua plays the Cardinals. Correct. That's going to be. And then big. it's uh, Raiders Chargers. Correct. 450 combined. Yep. And four passing touchdowns combined. So 225 and two apiece. So I'll, I'll buy it. You don't even have to ask me. You're selling. Yeah. <laughs> Man. What I think well, Tua threw for what ninety four yards? Yes, he did. And one. Where touchdown. is the game? Where's the Chargers game at? It's, is it in Vegas? No, no. It's in Inglewood. In I guess either way, they're both good weather, good stadiums. Yeah, that's the thing though. Is like um, Justin Herbert playing in Arizona. Herbert so. could like he's had games where he's been pretty close to doing that himself, so he might not need a whole lot of help from Tua. Yeah, and Tonga Vailoa's that's a tough defense in Arizona. Uh, four scores. Four passing touchdowns. It can't just be any kind of touchdown. It has to be passing. Makes it a little bit. A little I'm trickier. selling. Yeah. I don't think they get it. All right. I don't think they get the touchdowns. Okay. Fair enough. Not taking the points, taking the defenses. <laughs> well, I will go back to college football for my first question. Do you guys buy or sell that all six Pac-12 favorites win this weekend? Those favorites are USC, Utah, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, and Cal. And I will buy it. It's an upset-free first weekend. 
buying. Hmm. Nope. Sell. Yeah, that's... It, it is ludicrous for me to buy this, considering everything we've seen in college football through the first however many weeks. But you're going to do it, aren't you? No way. Sell. Well, yeah, I'm selling. There's a lot of... Even if even if all the lines for all those games were double digits, which they aren't, I would um, still sell it. So, are we calling our shots here on the upsets? Please. All right. I mean, let me get let me get it here. If you get the if you call more than one and you get the exact ones correct, then sure, we'll give you an extra point. I'm gonna say. Oh, I mean, the the, the cop outs Washington State because right, it's a one or, and a half. Or Washington because they're right. both point and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll say UCLA or uh, no, they're minus six and a half. They're a favorite. Never mind. Um, I'll take Arizona State. Why not? I don't want to. I don't want to be the one that picks the one and a half point dog. Yeah, <laughs> don't be that guy. <laughs> and this is win outright, not just cover. By the way, right? If that helps, right? Um. You're the fork, baby. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with... Uh, I'll go with the Buffs here. Why not? That's a, almost a seven-point Who are the Buffs playing? Uh, UCLA. UCLA. Who does uh, Oregon State have? Washington State in Corvallis. Yeah, I'm going Cougs. Craig takes the Cougs. Nobody wants to uh, pick Stanford over Oregon? No. Nope. nope. <laughs> nope. Got it. Nope. All right. Uh, give us one of the absentees, Austin. All right. Let's uh, let's stick in college football here. In the uh, Frank Solich-related question, yeah. Tim asks us if we would buy or sell that Ohio wins the MAC this year. He did not tell me buy or sell, so I uh, defer the order to the top to you, Greg. Hmm. Winning tonight. You're beating the Chippewas tonight, right? I don't know. Now they're tied. tied. It's 27 oh, side. Uh, they did have the lead for a bit. I'm going to sell it. I'll take the field. Yeah. Give me the field. Yeah. I, I'm. That just seems like – it's not like they're just a crazy – at least as far as I know, they're not crazy better than every single other team in the MAC. So. They've Ma- just been so snake-bitten. They've been so close pretty much Solch's entire tenure, at least since you know, the start of the 2010s. Something's going to come up, and I think it's actually the chips that win it. Give me Central Michigan or the field. So you're selling. selling. All right. Yeah. What do you guys want to bet that Tim buys this question? <laughs> I uh, sell that Tim buys I might it. have a nickel laying around. I'll yeah. bet that. <laughs> All right. Got a quarter in my pocket. Very good. All right. Back to you, Greg, I think. All right. Back to me. My second buy-sell question. Buy or sell that there are more points scored in the Nebraska-Northwestern game than in the Michigan-Indiana contest. What's the over-unders? Do you know off the top of your head? One is, fif- one is 54, one is 55. I think Michigan-Indiana oh. is 55. Oh. What are you doing? I'm going to sell it. I'm hmm. taking Michigan-Indiana, so that's a sell. That would be a sell. Sell. I, yeah, I don't know. Austin, you go. I don't know what to think. <laughs> um, I, I would love to see Nebraska 80, Northwestern 0. I'm afraid the odds of that are not high, so I will I will also take the Wolverines and the Hoos, so sell for me as well. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I want to be different because you guys have all done one thing, so I'll buy. I'll be cheering for all the points on Saturday for the Go big red. Yep. <laughs> Austin said eighty right. something to nothing. Back to the National Football League here. Buy or sell that five or more players in the Ravens-Colts game have at least 40 rushing yards. For the game. For the game. Not a 40-yard rusher longer. That'd be ridiculous. Well, five. Unless, yeah, that, I mean, that could potentially be it unless they get a bunch of negative yards. Right. Five players with 40 rushing yards. What are you doing? I'm buying it. I think it's Lamar. Either it's got to be Lamar, JK, probably Gus Edwards, and then give me, like, even though they're both banged up, you've got the three-headed monster with uh, with Wilkins, with Taylor, with Hines. I don't think Hines is going to rush for 40, but yeah, Wilkins had, had a decent day, and Jonathan Taylor had a, a, an awful day, his worst day, and I, I think they're both banged up right now, but I think – Two of them get 40 yards, unless unless Phil wants to rip off a 40-yarder for me, right. which I don't know what's going to happen. 40-yard <laughs> arm punt, maybe. <laughs> that seems like a lot. I'm going to sell that. I will sell as well, only because I don't think Lamar gets 40. I, I trust I trust the Colts Ooh. linebackers, so I will, I will sell. I am with Austin. I am down as a sell. Austin, who do you trust – you, so you trust Lamar to get less than 40 more than you trust either of the Colts guys to get more than 40, right? You think both Colts guys are, are getting 40? Oh, no, I'm not I'm not saying even four are going to get there. I think the Ravens' run defense is pretty good. I'm, I'm not loving the Colts' running back situation. I know you haven't been a big Jonathan Taylor guy given this lack of production and points in fantasy. So he's still trying to figure things out. Jordan Wilkins is the hot hand, but there's a reason he's the third teamer. And Naheem Hines has only been playing running back for a few years now. So I don't love the Colts running game. It's situationally effective. But I, I think the Ravens are going to do the, the bulk of the rushing yard damage. There you go. All right, back to me. I'm going to stick in the NFL with my second question. Buy or sell that the loser of the Bills-Seahawks game on... Loser? Yeah, the loser of the Bills-Seahawks game <laughs> finishes the... NFL regular season with at least 11 wins. Oh. So the team that loses that game between the Bills and Seahawks finishes with at least 11 wins in the regular season. It's a little bit of a stretch, I think. I'm going to sell. Man. Yeah, that's... So, Buffalo, already has, they both have two losses? No, they all, the Seahawks, Seahawks only have one. one. Yeah, one. Bills have two. But, it, yeah, if the... If the Bills win, which they're not favored to win, then I think that the Seahawks would still get to 11. But I don't know if if the Bills don't win, then they're at six and three, and I don't. That'd be a stretch to get to 11 wins. Yeah, give me the. I think the Seahawks win. So looking at the Bills' schedule, they go to Arizona and San Francisco yet. San Francisco might not have enough eligible players. True. There is that. You know what? I think I will. I'll buy it. I think the Bills have a path, and Josh Allen gets his head screwed on straight. Okay. Do they still play the Jets? They do not. <laughs> they are out of Jets games. <laughs> and they only beat the Jets by eight. <laughs> and by ten the other time. So not a great combined margin of victory for the Bills. 
Uh, I think the Seahawks win the game, so that's okay. the third loss for the Bills. Right, that's tough. They're not going to beat Pittsburgh. They play them later in the year. I, um, I will say yeah, this. The if, rest of it's manageable. Right, really. and here's the other part of it, too. If the Bills do win, which they're only three-point underdogs, the Seahawks have, I would say, a relatively easy schedule because here, listen to this, they play the Rams, but then they play the Cardinals, Eagles, Giants, Jets, Washington football team, and then the Rams and 49ers to finish things off. So I think that they could really start rattling off some wins there after right. a bit. Um, but if you don't think that they're going to lose, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't, so that's why I'm going to sell it. Okay. Ben? Seahawks win the game, and I I'm, I am so out on the Bills. I trust – I have as much faith in the Bills as I do Josh Allen throwing the ball to the other team or <laughs> out of the realm of any of his receivers. So I am taking um, – I'm taking a sell on this, and I think the okay. Bills finish with like nine. Nine wins. Got it. Nine and – yeah. Yep. Nine and seven. Nine and seven. Perfect. All right, we'll stick with football, but alternate college football and NFL for our last two. My second question for you guys is a college football one. Buy or sell that at least one West Coast game lasts until at least 1245 the next morning. Central time, I'm guessing. Correct, central time. I'm going to buy that one. What's the latest kick? Nine, there, there are a handful of 9 o'clock and a handful of 9.30s. Yeah, there's some 9.30 central. I think there's two 9.30s. Oh, bye. That's a bye, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you got to go by there. I, I, I asked Austin. Austin shared this question with me ahead of time, and I was like, so you're going to be the one to stay up and watch and make sure that <laughs> – yeah. We, we have an, uh, an 11 o'clock kickoff, which means that pregame starts at 6, which means I'll be in before that. So I'm not ah. I'm not staying up for those Pac-12 games, at least the 930 ones, not staying up for the final, final horn. So Austin's on that duty. I'm planning on being up all night celebrating Nebraska getting on the board this year. So there you go. I love energy galore. All right, Brett will finish us out with an NFL question. The aforementioned New York Jets are the subject of this question. Brett asks us, buy or sell that the Jets score at least 100 points in their final eight games or give up more than 240 points over those eight games. He also provided these facts for context. The Jets have scored 94 points in their first eight games and allowed 238. That is a negative point differential, by the way. Yeah, that's what not was good. the first stat <laughs> about scoring? Do they do they reach 100 points in no, their no, final Brett's eight games? Statistic. They've scored 94. 94 in their first eight. Yes. And what's the number they have to get to? 100. 100 in their next. So they came up six short of that, eight. and then the allowed they would have to get even worse defensively in their last eight. So I'm 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 gonna buy when you have two different things that could happen. I'm all over that. So it's the Jets. Is this an though. and or an or? This is an or. Score 100 or give up 240. I don't think they give up 240 because the weather's gonna, gonna start getting bad. So you're gonna have some, and their defense isn't just awful. Uh, scoring and then Darno, he's in and out of being hurt, and I just don't think they do it. So, so I'm gonna sell him. All right. They're starting to play all their young guys. LaMichael P. Ryan, Denzel Mims. Um, 
That's like, what, 11 points a game? Or I know. That's that. what, like, mm -hmm. surely one of the games they could break out for 24 or something. Yeah. And, like, I'm buying. I'm uh, So, wait, I'm buying it. Yeah, I, if you think I, one I of those score. Things, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going to score the, the point total. All right. They don't exactly play a murderous row of defenses. Patriots a couple times. So have the Dolphins. And they're going to the score Seahawks on the Patriots. Leaky. I, I think they buy because they break 100 this go-around. Two more made field goals. Give me the points. So you're buying. I am buying. So Greg's the only one that sold so far. Ooh. We'll see what Brett does with his own question. We'll see what Tim does. Yeah, Tim's a wild card. I know. We ne you <laughs> never, never know what Tim's going to do. That's, that's the whole point. All right. Good stuff. Well done, guys. Good Thanks. stuff this week. I'm having fun doing that. That's, that's great having everybody involved in those.